Okay, so it has been almost one month since we participated in the Go Ruck Star Course 50 Mile Ruck event. The blisters have healed, our emotions have healed, and now it's time to do an after action report. <laughs> so uh, we should start by just giving a little context. It'll take us 30 seconds. Alex, what is the Go Ruck Star Course 50 mile event in your understanding? Basically, you put a backpack on with 20 pounds plus some other stuff and you walk 50 miles. You got to do it in under 20 hours. Do you remember? Yeah. Did you have to weigh your ruck when we started? Yeah, I think it came in at 30. Okay. I think mine was 34 or 35. Yeah. So when we finished, it was something around one. I, maybe it was 35. I can't remember. It was between there. Yeah. And I think mine was about the same weight when we finished. We'll talk about sort of what we took with us, what we used and didn't use and all of that. But yeah, and, you know, quick background. This event comes from a, um, you can go look it up on the GORUCK website, but basically there was a presidential order that said all service members in the military had to be able to move 50 miles in 20 hours. And that was like a standard that was set. And so this event is based on that. The name Star Course comes from Special Forces Assessment and Selection. Basically, there's a phase in there where you have to do some land navigation and the points when you plot them on a map make a star, something like that. But uh, anyway, the important part is exactly what you just mentioned, that in we, we took, what was our time, 19 hours and a little over 19 hours? Yeah, slightly over. Like 19 hours and five minutes or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we, in 19 hours, moved 20 miles with 30-pound rocks. 50 miles. 50 miles, excuse me. <laughs> Did I say 30? 20 miles sounds amazing. Yeah. In, tw- in tw- 19 hours, we we went 50 miles. Yeah. Cool. And we did it in D.C., so we went yes. through all the uh, national monuments and, and landmarks, Capitol Building, White House, all those, yeah, all that good stuff. So I, I kind of want to start with the end. Uh, how did it feel to earn that patch at the end? I mean, it, everything from physically, how were you feeling after that, to emotionally, like what was going on when you got handed that patch and it was like, okay, like this is what you came to earn, you're done. Honestly, I didn't feel as much as I expected. Yeah. I was just kind of like resigned to, I I mean, it was, I was obviously glad I was done. Right. Yeah. But I don't think there was enough energy in my body to conjure the emotion of joy or relief, even (laughs) just, just sitting down and just feeling all that pain since the pain just wouldn't go away, even if I was sitting or resting or anything. So it was kind of just like it was still going. It was like a soft end. Yeah. It it, it was still ongoing for the next like four days. <laughs> uh, anytime I walked or stood up or got in the shower and the hot water hit my blisters. Yeah. Um, in that walk down the stairs and tr- just trying to get to the Uber mm-hmm. from the top of this building and walking maybe 50 feet. That was, I didn't know if I could do it, honestly. I was like, I might have to just take a nap here on the pavement until or crawl over. I can't, can't quite do it. We made it, but yeah. um, Did the, did any part of it hit you later on? Like, holy crap, I did this thing. Um, the pain just lingered for so long that I don't think it ever, like there was no moment that it hit me. Yeah. Um, obviously I'm, I'm, I feel the pride, I guess, that I did it now, now that the pain is mostly gone. Um, my leg is still injured, so that's actually Ah. something we'll get to, but, um, but it definitely was an accomplishment, especially because I wanted to stop when we had about like 12 miles left. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it, it definitely makes me think, but I don't know, um, how much positive emotion necessarily I, I have from it. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I, I think I think it's a valuable experience, but as far as positive emotions, I it's not not too much there. Yeah. So for me, since this this was your first go rock event, this was not my first go rock event. Um, it it was a little bit of an interesting introduction for you. So just to compare to my other experience for a moment, um, I've done let's see two go rock toughs a Goruck Heavy, a handful of lights, and some of their other courses like the Constellation, Expedition, things like that. Um, for me, the, I mean, this is definitely a departure from the normal style of events. There's no PT. When you go through a normal Goruck event, a Goruck challenge, whether it's a tough, light, or heavy, um, there is the component of rucking, and usually your ruck is a little bit heavier than what we had. Uh, our weight requirement was 20 pounds plus food and water. Uh, That's termed 20 pounds dry. That just means 20 pounds excluding consumables. Uh, For a normal go-ruck, tough or heavy, it's 30 pounds dry. So 30 pounds plus consumables. And there's more than just rucking. Like all we had to do was put 50 miles underweight through DC, through all these waypoints but for a, norm, a normal Goruck challenge, you have to put in miles underweight. Plus, you've got, you know, a Goruck cadre yelling at you to do push-ups and carry each other and do burpees and pick up logs and pass sandbags around. And it's much more involved. It's a full team event. Like, everyone that shows up is part of the team. So there's not only a departure in the physical sense of what you're actually doing, but there's also a departure in the sense of, you know, like it was just you and me. I mean, obviously there were other people there, but they were not part of us doing the event. Like they might as well, they might as well have been, <clears throat> you know, basically there on the phone, right? Cause we talked mm-hmm. to a couple of them, but, but like we were not for the most part, we weren't doing any of our pacing based on other people. You know, there were people who passed us. There were people who we passed and yeah, so that was very different. Um, but I think work wise, I felt about the same as at at the end as I did after something like the, the heavy that I did last year. So the heavy is 24 hours. And I I think really the major difference with the heavy was that I hurt all over. And Mm. for the star course, it was basically my legs were stiff and sore. I had a couple of blisters and I mean, my shoulders had adjusted. That wasn't too bad until the day after. So, yeah, that's sort of how it yeah, compares for me. Yeah, and for me, I hadn't done any of them. And really, the only practice one I had done was with you, which was like 10 miles. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> I didn't quite know what I was getting myself into. Like, I, I guess I, I knew, but it's hard to project the actual emotional and physical experience of suffering you know uh without actually feeling it in that moment yeah so that's one of the things that i think i got out of it i don't want to get ahead of myself but just how much to appreciate just the baseline of experience that's not all of that suffering yeah like for me my like you said my upper my upper body was fine. Yeah. I kind of wish we had had more stuff to give my legs a break. I, w- I wanted to just, like, can I just do 100 push-ups to get done with this and just give my legs a, a break? Yeah. Because I was totally fine from the, you know, head to my, about my knees. Yeah. And then just my back of my knees, my shins, my calf was, my calf and the back of my leg, maybe into my hamstring is strained. So that's what I'm recovering from. My feet were covered in the biggest blisters I've ever, I've ever seen on anybody. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously a Google search could, you know, change that, but sure. Um, and then when I, when I stepped in the shower and the, the tape came off from the blisters and just, it was, it was very painful. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about training and preparation. What, what was your training like? Like knowing, as little as you did about what to expect and having done, you know, that, that 10 mile ruck that we did a couple weeks before, what did you do to train and 
what do you think you would recommend doing differently? Um, so my training was, I started doing more cardio and spent extra time with, uh, higher reps with, uh, leg exercises. Um, so I, my general background of training that I usually do is primarily weight training. Um, and I added in cardio leading up to that, which is actually one of the biggest things that I learned of value is to, is to keep that there. But my mistake was to focus too much on the, the muscular strength and endurance. Like, for example, I, I did a lot of shoulder stuff to try to, you know, make sure the bag didn't get too heavy. But that was not a problem at all. The, it, tw- the amount of weight in that was not any issue on my back or my shoulders. Did, did your shoulders hurt at any point? Okay. Nope. That's actually um, kind of unusual. You must just have strong shoulders. Yeah, it just, I don't know, the the bag, especially with a hip strap, it felt balanced. I really didn't have any problems. Maybe I did, but it was totally overwhelmed by the leg issues. Yeah. Um, so I think really just what, my, my it just started to break down after mile 25 with my legs. And I, I think that could have been prevented with some more getting them used to just time you know, the time and mileage. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that would have helped a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think there's definitely something to be said for like, even just like building up your, your skin on your feet, getting them Mm -hmm. used to being in your shoes for a long time with more than just your body weight and making that same movement for so long. Yeah. And even just making sure the shoes fit properly. Yeah. Like, the way that the laces were, because I had to keep them tight enough where I didn't get too many more blisters yeah, um, or it didn't rub too much. So I had it pretty tight and it just really, the tension on the part of the shoe went over on the top of my foot where the bone was and just created like a ton of pain. That was the first thing I started noticing. It, The pain on the top bone of my foot just started hurting within maybe... 10 miles and that just continued for the rest of it luckily it didn't get significantly worse but that lingered for like two three weeks yeah Uh, just like a bruise kind of on the bone i think and we'll we'll definitely get into sort of packing and equipment more but what would you like if you were going to do this again next year what would you do what would your program be Mm. So one of the one of the issues I had with the, the training was that it just is very time intensive to um, commit to doing like a twenty mile ruck. You know that's yeah. you know maybe at least what five five six hours. Yeah, depending on your pace. Yeah, mm-hmm. somewhere around. Yeah. Um, so I would, I, the first thing would just be figuring out how to get the time to do that at least five times, Yeah, maybe before leading up every, you know, month, maybe mm-hmm. every few weeks that, and then also doing it in shoes and trying out different shoes, maybe even bringing multiple pairs of shoes that would hit, mm. uh, different points on my foot with, with pressure. So, um, and also learning to tape. Yes, yes. So I guess just just creating more of the problems that would happen and then letting my body handle them and recover from them. Yeah. Basically, like, simulating the event as much as possible. Yeah, exactly. There's definitely something to be said about, you know, sort of training with other methodologies. So, for example, when I did my first GORUCK event, I didn't have a sandbag that I could carry around. I had a ruck, I had some weight, but for the other things that we would be doing with things like sandbags and buddy carries, I didn't really have a lot to do. So I did things like I did a a, a power clean shoulder press combo a lot just with a a standard bar. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't remember how much weight I put on it, but like that exercise and specifically that movement of the power clean and being able to just press it up over my head afterward, mm-hmm. that helped a ton with doing sandbag work. But 
I don't think that there's a substitute for that for rucking for hours at a time. You know, it, you it's can, very specialized. Yeah, you can build the muscles, but like at some point there are gaps. And yeah, because it's so specialized, it's you got to just simulate it. That, that's one of the things that I did. Basically, starting uh, seven months out, I was doing what I was calling maintenance rucking, where a couple times a week I would just put in whatever, five, six miles at a time. And mm-hmm. uh, I would do things where if I was walking around the city or whatever, I would just make sure there was weight in my ruck. And, you know, I'd be going out to meet friends or whatever and have a 30 pound ruck with me. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of annoying, but that was just to make sure that my body was used to doing that for long stretches. Um, and then starting at the 18 week mark, I actually started on the go ruck training program that they prescribe, but I only stuck with that for maybe five or six weeks. I mean, pretty, pretty, uh, strictly stuck with it for that time. But after that point, I started getting really busy. I got a new part-time job. I had all this other stuff going on. And so I ended up taking big chunks of time to try to do things less frequently. Like once a week, I'd do a big long ruck or whenever I could fit it in. Like when when you were in town, we did that that 10-mile ruck Mm -hmm. with Cutler and it, it, you know, things like that. But I never got above about a 10-mile thing. I think the, the biggest thing that helped me, though, was just trying to keep that in my routine. Um, mm-hmm. And I think if I were going to do it again, I would just make sure to be a little more disciplined on the, the workouts and, you know, do more miles. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's the, the main thing, more mileage, you know. And, and I think that it is set at 50 miles. That's the... In general, that's the longest version of the star course. Obviously, there's other events that that are more, but that's like the tough thing. Yeah, you know, it's it's not like it's supposed to be easy right. for anybody. Right, just for a human. Right, it, for to do that in 20 hours is yeah a, a a stretch. Yeah, even the there were those guys that finished. I forget what their time was, but it was something stupid. Like 12 like hours. 12 hours. Yeah, it's crazy, but. <laughs> there's basically no way to train your body to make 50 miles easy. You can make mm-hmm. it easier to a point and you can make it so that you can actually perform at a high standard. But I don't, I don't think any of that makes it easy. Yeah. yeah. It's not like getting your body with strength. Let's say you're untrained yeah. and you're learned to need to squat 225. You can get it to where that feels like nothing. Yeah. You know, like, but I don't know if 50 miles is ever going to quite be, I mean, maybe it's just the wrong metric. Maybe 10 miles is the equivalent of, yeah. of that weight. I, who knows? But it's just, it just a feat that's getting up there to, to the yeah. maximum of the average human, human effort. I think there's one more training element that I would add in, and that's paying attention to that that inclination people have to quit. Like hmm. a lot of my training was focused on getting me to the point where I was ready to quit and I would just practice pushing past that. And that's what I've been doing for all of my go ruck training. Cause I know that like, that's really the battle that go ruck is interested in helping people confront is mm-hmm. like you versus that voice in your head that's saying, I don't want to do this. I'm ready to quit. I'm ready to be done. I think that's a big thing, but I was also that that actually caused a lot of anxiety for me because in training for this event, there were a lot of rucks that I would do. I would get home after a six mile ruck, and I would be like desperate to take the ruck off. And I was like, if I'm desperate to take this thing off after six miles, what the heck is fifty going to be like? <laughs> like that's not a good sign if my psychological state is like that. Right, but. I think it ended up being okay. <laughs> yeah, I think um, that's. I kind of went into it with the blind, you know, no idea like what the pain would be like. So yeah. that might have helped me for the first, you know, twenty five miles. <laughs> I don't know the first until until I figured it out. But yeah, yeah, I think the urge to quit 
is complex. You know, I, I think there's so many things that go into it. Some of them good reasons and some of them not. Yeah. Um, I think when I got to that point, we were, you know, 38 miles in on this super long stretch that felt like it was forever going down to this park. It was the middle of the day. It was hot. No shade. No shade. Um, Tough, tough terrain, oddly, because it was wet and we were trying to avoid Mm. the sidewalk was, was kind of off and we kept going back and forth across the wet grass. Um, And I just got so like my, I was just in so much pain, my feet mainly my feet and my legs. Yeah. And, and we just sat down for a break and I was just thinking about it. And you went to the bathroom and I was just like, I felt myself recovering a little bit. Yeah. I felt, well, we're good enough on time that if I can recover in any way during breaks, we can still get it done on time. Um, and the, but the other voice in my head was like, if I'm already in this much pain and I know my, my um, walking gait is off, there is actually a chance that I'll hurt myself. Yeah. Um, so there was the logical component going into it and the um, aversion to pain. Yeah. And I think at that point it was pretty equal. So the, the, um, the pain made me want to quit but the logic of getting hurt actually made it more realistic like if i didn't think i was going to get hurt i don't think i would have uh really contemplated it yeah right if i knew it was just the pain and i knew i was going to stop and i was going to be fine and within a few days i'd be back to normal and be able to resume my routine um because that logical side was right i haven't been able to i couldn't i could barely walk for a week i couldn't run for two and a half weeks and even then i could only maybe do cardio or like running once a week for the past Mm. week and a half because it would kind of re uh, trigger my injuries what where where did you actually get injured on the back of my knee okay so i think it's a the tendon connecting the calf to the back of my knee okay isn't that Um, your acl or is that a different spot i I don't know i'm not sure anyway it and and the hamstring too so it's just a tightness in there um and there was also another spot that hurt um the oh my the front of my calf like the shin just cramping mm. anytime that foot flexion mm-hmm. um happens it just would cramp finally today in this past week it's been loosening up and i've been trying to do some exercises to help it but, but yeah anyway going back to quitting that that was what I was concerned about because yeah. I like my routine. You know, I like doing my uh, cardio twice a week, my weight training twice a week. And, you know, it did put a damper on that mm-hmm. for almost a month. Yeah. So it, it, at that point, it bec- comes down to like a why, you know, like you said at the beginning when we mentioned it, what's the why? Hmm. Yeah. So what got you through that? Honestly, just music. Mm. I just like, cause we hadn't listened to any music. I don't think I'd listened to any music the whole time. Yeah. And I just put in headphones and I thought like, what gets me through like a hard workout? And I put on that playlist and I was like, okay, I just act like I'm in the middle of a set for the next 12 miles. And yeah. And try to go through it you know each each mile gets a little closer yeah and i i don't want all of what i already did these past 38 miles to be for nothing yeah (laughs) that was really what what kept me going it's like i I can't have done all of this just to stop now like i paid too much i got a flight i you know we booked a, a airbnb went 38 miles i bought this ruck i bought this plate yeah i can't just go home now yeah I knew I just hate that feeling of disappointment like that I didn't didn't finish it. Yeah. You know, which which can be a problem and and used to uh negatively affect my progress and and especially athletic aspects of my life. Yeah, but I mean, 
if you if you can decide beforehand on something and maybe even decide the the conditions under which you would be okay with quitting if you can decide yeah. all that beforehand and let that guide you through i think that's that's a really good way to mitigate the stupidity of uh you know doing something that might injure you but at the same time keep you motivated through a point where you can't tell the difference between you know am i do i want to quit because it's hard or do i want to quit because it's actually dangerous now and like you mentioned with kind of goruk's mission i think this is really at the heart of it it's having a path forward and and having that be your guide that's a little bit more logical and planned out and knowing that the emotions will rise that will try to make you stray from it whether good or bad you know but having that path be clear in your mind so that you don't get too distracted so that you totally veer off and not know that you veered off you know at least if you veer off you know okay I am deviating from the plan because of something I'm feeling yeah. or because of something new that ar- arose, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, do you think that was your, your takeaway as well? Like what, what do you think the value you gained from doing this experience was? Um, I think it. Hmm. Let me think for a sec. I know for me, it, I mean, it, it definitely comes down to life philosophy for me. I'm somebody who, maybe a little background here. Uh, So in high school, there was a point where I wanted to go into the military. And my, you know, top three choices of things I wanted to do all had to do with combat aviation. It was either being an, an actual combat aviator, whether it was helicopters or fixed wing, didn't matter to me. Or a combat controller on the ground, which is essentially a, uh, a a foot soldier embedded within a team of other people on the ground whose job it is to coordinate combat air support. <clears throat> or the, the last choice was essentially like air traffic controller, which is sort of the same thing, but in a, a something like an airport environment. So basically, I wanted to do those things. And I had that sort of crushed when I realized that because I have asthma, I could not enlist. I couldn't, I, I couldn't go in the military. And the, the rule, I don't know if this is still the rule, but the rule at the time was basically if you've had asthma after you're 13 years old, you, are, you cannot enlist unless you have a, a doctor that can testify that you do not have asthma anymore. <clears throat> and I still have asthma. And so for me... Like there, it was an ebb and flow because early in my life, I had let that asthma dictate my ability to push through difficult things. Like it was an excuse. I would say, I can't do the mile run in school because I have asthma or my time is really bad because I have asthma. And when, when it was sort of solidified in some outside force telling me you can't do this because you have asthma, I think that really put me on a mission Maybe even with some time delay, because I, I don't think this really kicked in as much until college. Uh, it really put me on a mission to say, well, actually, there's a lot that I can do. And even though I'm not allowed to do certain things, like I've got the the will, even the, even if I, I basically I'm not going to let a lack of will stop me from doing something that I have the physical capability of doing. And that's really what that voice in your head telling you to quit is, is it's you losing the will to continue and, or, or it's, it's creeping up on losing the will to continue. And I think for me, the, that whole core of Goruk, like telling you to like basically butt heads with that feeling, that was the perfect opportunity for me to face that directly. And, you know, it's almost, you know, find my spirit animal, face my demons kind of thing. And, you know, just like the rest of the Goruk events that that I've done that were challenge events, this was no different. This was an opportunity for me to figure out where one of my perceived limits was and push past it and either push past it to the point where I found where my actual limits were or push past it to the point where I could know, 
okay, I haven't hit my limit yet, but at least I know for sure that it is beyond where I thought it was. And I think to me, that's the big takeaway from this event and all the other Goruk events is just pushing past where, where I think my limits are. Yeah, I think that's a good, that makes sense. I think I, I would guess that a lot of people who do go rock have a similar type of reason for doing so and a similar type of takeaway. I think that's kind of what it's really structured to do. You know, it's, it's to train you to get past that and make it a philosophy that's an active philosophy, not just a passive like thought pattern, you know? Yeah. Um, I think it's not quite as clear for me because I signed up more to go do it with you because it was something important to you. So it wasn't, wasn't so much, um, a drive or, 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 uh, something that I thought about doing from like my own, um, benefit standpoint, I guess, Mm. or not to, I'm not trying to make it sound selfless, I just mean um, it's not something I went into with a specific intention. What I think I got from it, which I kind of already mentioned, was just a reflection on suffering and getting through suffering. And, and really the phrase, this too shall pass. Yeah. You know, it, it will be done, you know, the pain, mm-hmm. even if that's in death, right? <laughs> Eventually it will be finished. Well, you'll and you pass won't out have before to... you die. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, I don't mean this experience, oh, but yeah. any, like, you know, it, it won't last forever. And if you just keep going, try to make the most of it, right? Like uh, uh, another part of it that I just remembered was don't complain about it if you signed up for it. <laughs> Yeah, like, if you volunteered. If you, yeah, if you volunteered to do something. It was like training me the whole time. Like, don't do your best not to complain. You know, <laughs> e- even internally, you know, the inner monologue. Like, you signed yourself up for this. You can quit. You know, so it's kind of the, the difference between... Because it, it, it made me uh, more aware of my free will or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. But another another thing was that while I, while I was in that immense pain, I think it was on the on the long track through the forest along the river. So it probably wasn't as bad pain as it was towards the end. But I was thinking about the physical pain versus the kind of pain I experience on a regular daily basis, like with anxiety. Yeah, and they're very feel different. But when I was in this extreme physical pain, I was like, I don't know if I can objectively say that this is worse. Mm. So this is just a different type type of pain. And because I'm so focused on it, I'm not anxious about anything. Like it's, it was almost a respite from a different type of, of suffering that yeah. is more of an issue for me. And that was one thing I, I still remember that I was grateful for. Like, at least I'm not anxious right now. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I might be in pain, but at least I'm not anxious. And and also while I was on that path, I had a, a lot of time to think just about other stuff. And I thought a lot about my memory and how nostalgia clouds past experiences. Because mm. I mm. knew when a year from then, uh, while I was on that path walking for 30 miles at that one stretch... Like I knew I was going to look back on it fondly. Yeah. And I just know how I do that for almost everything. I, all the experiences that I, when I think back on them, I have more of an optimistic, positive memory of them. When I know I hated high school, I know I could not wait to get out of college. You know, I, there's so many things that I look back like, ah, I wish I was just in college again and could, (laughs) do you know go hang out at boston college and but that was like once a month maybe the rest of it was yeah (laughs) you know work and and stressful stuff and you know trying new things and it's just interesting 
that I had that time to reflect on it. And I thought, I'm going to remember this exact moment, but I'm going to imagine it so di- so much differently in the future. And yeah. I thought about, can I make myself experience that now? You know, can I just be in the moment and enjoy the experience from a, a mindful perspective? And I don't think I could. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. I really tried. And it made it better, but it didn't make it... Uh, uh, Well, maybe maybe it did work because it made it a valuable experience, but I don't know about pleasant. I don't think stuff has to be pleasant to be valuable, and I think a lot most pleasant things are not. Yeah, I, I think there was definitely some time where I was spending thinking along similar lines, but I think for me, I was able to find joy in the moment-to-moment experience of it, even though it wasn't a like, it wasn't physical pleasure. It was still hard. It still hurt. But I, what I was feeling was like a happiness that I was there in the moment doing that. And I was just feeling joy for the opportunity mm-hmm. to, to be right where I was in that moment. And that wasn't for all of it, for sure. There were definitely yeah. moments where I was frustrated. Um, yeah. That freaking canal path. Um, <laughs> so let's, let's get a little tactical for a few minutes and we can, we can end back on philosophy. But I want to make sure we touch on... Uh, gear and route planning. Uh, so let's just start with gear. What did you take with you? So th- there's this technique that I learned from the, the listening to the gear tasting radio podcast, uh, which is put out by ITS tactical. And basically it goes like this, like when you get home from a trip, when you're done with a trip, when you unpack you have a a mid stage of your unpacking process where you unpack everything into three piles. You have your pile of things that you used and, you know, therefore you would take it, take them again. You would have things that you did not use that you didn't need to take. And then there's a third pile of things that you did not use, but you still would take again. And that, that typically includes things like medical kit. Um, and I think for our purposes, we might even add a fourth category of things that we did not take with us that we wish we had. Mm-hmm. So let's start with those four categories as a, as a place f- to analyze what, what exactly we took with us from a, a gear perspective. Um, you can start with any, any of those things you like and just analyze what did you take with you and what would you change? What would you keep the same? Uh, I took extra pair of clothes which I would if I thought it would rain I would still bring and if the forecast was no rain I would not bring yeah um I did not bring an extra pair of shoes which I would have if I had had a pair of shoes that was worth taking uh. <laughs> yeah. um I took food little little bars little snacks hydration packets i would take that again i would Mm. take the food again i would take more food Mm. (laughs) um water lots of water take as much as i can i i think i i would have taken more i think i could have one of the things i think i could have handled more weight and been happier with a little bit more weight and a little more stuff yeah a little more food a little more water um we took a leave. Mm-hmm. Probably would have taken another painkiller. Another. We did end up buying Tylenol as well to stack with the oh, leave. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I would have brought that from the start. Yeah, I think so too. That that would have been good. Especially because a lot of the pain was like inflammation. Yeah. Um. Maybe would have brought a ice pack or something to ice. Hmm. Mm. Interesting. Like one of those ones you, that instantly yeah. turns cold. Yeah, I've got a couple of those around here. Yeah. Probably should should have taken that. Um, what would you have iced? My shin. Okay. Yeah, try to reduce the swelling. I could have even just like taped that right on there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Something like that. Um, yeah, that's that's all I'm, I'm thinking that. Yeah. 
I, I really don't know how much the difference the weight plate made. Yeah. I, I don't know how much worse it would have been with no weight or how much mm. uh, better it would have been with no weight. I'm, I bet I still would have had a lot of the same problems. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, for a lot of things like this, people get a little obsessive about, uh, I know I just um, complimented the ITS crew on their packing methodology, but I think this is also a criticism of them in particular. People get a little obsessive about weight. You know, there's that phrase ounces equals pounds, pounds equals pain. I think that's probably true if you're out there for six days doing 20 miles a day. For a single 50-mile course, honestly, at the end, it did not make a difference whether I had my ruck on or off. I noticed when we stopped, we would take our Mm -hmm. rucks off, and it didn't feel any different to me. Like, my body had just integrated that, whatever, 30, 35 pounds, and once I put the ruck back on, like, it didn't feel any more or less difficult to move. So I think, like you said, it would have been worth it to – the big thing for me was water. I – the only moment where I had a moment where I was like, okay, maybe we are doing something stupid right now is when we were on the CNO Canal, which we were on forever. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. And we were both very low on water. I was thinking, okay, we have a lot more distance to cover and we're very low on water. It's the middle of the night. It's pitch black and I'm thirsty. What do I do? Good thing we're right by a river. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, maybe that's another thing to pack is like, um, that's the funny thing. When I travel, I normally do pack... um, water decontamination tablets and right in that moment i was actually thinking "Ah, if i had those like it's possible that the next time we see a place where i could jump down to the river i would just fill up my nalgene pop those things in there just in case yeah and then it's gross to drink the you know like iodine water or whatever but technically it's safe for you so if we got desperate like if we were out there dry on water for like three hours then I probably would have considered that. But next time, see, this is the thing. The difference between most GORUCK events and what we did, in normal GORUCK events, there are enough people all together and the cadre is paying attention. I, even for the heavy, I only filled my water bladder two-thirds of the way and we refilled often enough that, like, I was good Mm -hmm. and I was happy to have saved that extra weight. Here, next time, if I were to do another (laughs) 50-miler, That thing is getting full of water. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, if we had gone the opposite direction and started on that path towards the end with low water. Oh, man. That would have been been so far without anywhere to fill up. Yeah. And if we wanted to have filled up and we would have had to go so far out of the way, that would have added like five, ten miles probably onto our trip. Yeah. And yeah, so, so how many times did we run out of water completely? I, I think it was at least twice. It might have been three times where I think it was twice. You and I were both completely out of water. The last mile, I was completely out. Yeah. And then at the end of that long, where did we refill up the first time? Uh, oh, at the lockhouse. Yeah, at the lockhouse at the very. Uh, tip of the CNO Canal Trail, there was a, a water fountain that we filled up from. That didn't last very long. Um, yeah, at the very, very end, like going into the last mile, you were completely out of water. You were drinking my water. And yeah. I think by the end of that, I might have been dry too. Yeah. But like yeah, next time, just more water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was nuts. I, I did not expect to run out of water like that. I think it, it also didn't help that it was hot and oh, we yeah. were out in the sun all day. Yeah. It, I did, I needed so much less at night when it was cool. Yeah. I was, I was, I was fine then. Yeah. But once we, you know, took a break at that, uh, women's memorial, mm-hmm. that, that was like, that bridge felt like forever and yeah. I just did not want to get up after that. For anybody that, that wants to look up the route, you can see it on uh, our Instagram, MFM Rucks DC. I'll put the, the link in the description, but we, we posted a picture of the route 
and the bridge that Alex is just talking about is the bridge that goes from Washington, D.C. proper over to Arlington. And yeah, it was, it just felt like forever. Because you could, see, it was the worst because you could see it. Yeah. You could see this giant memorial at the end of this long, <laughs> long road. And you just knew, oh, I feel like I'm not getting any closer. Yeah. Like going through the woods at night, we couldn't really see. Yeah. So it was kind of, kind of comforting because, you know, maybe it's around the next turn, you know, there's some hope. But if it's <laughs> at the end of that, I just. You can oh. see exactly how far it is. Yep. And then I knew when I get there, that's only one of the things. And then I have to come back. Yeah. So not only do I have to make it there, but back in then another 10 miles. <laughs> yeah. So now we're, we're sort of getting into route planning, which is the next thing that I wanted to talk about. What did you think of the, the route in general? Um, yeah. Any thoughts? Um, not really. How about terrain? <laughs> the, like uh, terrain wise, do you think it was mostly good, bad? What, what do you think yeah. would have been? Like if you were to if you were to map out your ideal fifty mile course, how would you change things just in terms of terrain? Uh, I like the terrain. Yeah. Um, probably less on pavement in the middle of the day when it's hot. Yeah, you know, less on like mm-hmm. uh, sidewalks in the city. That was uh, punishing. Mm-hmm. But I like the night walk through the. I think I did. Maybe I'm wrong, but like the idea. Like when we first got on that path, it was fun. It was like it was mm-hmm. like a horror movie almost. You know, walking <laughs> along this path with uh, a bunch of lights off in the distance, little old lock houses that had lights on them and were mm-hmm. like abandoned houses and abandoned um, uh, locks in the canal. Yeah, it was it was cool scenery and and it was fun for the first ten miles. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I I agree. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I I enjoyed the the first ten miles were a lot of fun. Yeah, we were talking a lot. You know, we had a lot of energy. Ten miles in general, the, or on the trail. Uh, ten miles in general. Okay. Yeah. You know, we had a lot of energy. We we're talking a lot. Um, nothing hurt too bad. Uh, you know, it was like the start, the excitement, everything like that. And then we just kind of started talking less, slowing down. We were going fast at the beginning, mm-hmm. and then it just started to slow down and slow down and there's just more and more time to contemplate the the pain and how much farther i had to go and just yeah you know waiting waiting for that next five minute break Mm -hmm. to just sit down or squat or anything anything except keep walking (laughs) yep uh yeah i think for me my biggest takeaway was i hated that canal by the end I remember wanting nothing more than to just walk with literally anything, anything else as scenery than the swampy canal on one side and the Potomac on the other and trees and dirt path. And that's all you could see. I calculated it after. I think we, we actually spent 26 miles on that trail mm. yep. with only that as scenery <laughs> in, in the dark, pitch black. Yeah, I remember there was a certain restlessness I felt on the second half of that. Mm. It was like when you have like restless leg syndrome or you're just, just you want to just have a change mm. of scenery or you're forced to be somewhere you don't want to be and you're just like, just please get me out and you can't. And it's like the, you want to just like, just get out. It was a very different thing than towards the end when it was just, yeah. just the, the focus on the pain. It, it was a, mental discomfort as well and the funny thing is like if you wanted to quit while you were on that path it it didn't matter (laughs) because you would have had to just keep walking anyway yeah (laughs) whereas once we had gotten into dc so we we didn't so we started at 9 p.m we did not get off of that cno canal trail until sunrise like literally sunrise is when we finally finished that trail and we walked back into uh you know not trail it was that park Mm -hmm. in uh, georgetown area um 
once you're in the city, like if you had decided to quit at that point, you could just call an Uber and go back to the Airbnb and be done. But if you mm-hmm. were on the that trail and decided to quit, didn't make a difference. You were basically still going anyway. Yeah. Maybe that's how we should have planned it. We should have gone the opposite way so that we had no option to quit <laughs> towards the end when it got hard. Just no. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that, but, that's a hard uh, decision. One of the other things that I was concerned about going into it was that I was just going to get so tired. Mm. But I didn't notice yeah. tiredness, like yeah. a actual sleepiness the whole time. Um, it was just not really as strong enough mm. sensation to notice in those yeah. moments. Um, it was odd, though. It was just odd mm-hmm. not sleeping. Yeah. I've noticed that for the other, so one of the the tufts that I did was during the day, but for the the tuft that was at a normal time, in the throughout through the night. Basically, any Goruk event where I've done through the night, there's only been one time where I actually noticed myself getting sleepy, and that was mm-hmm. when we did the Goruk expedition last summer. Uh, my friend Robert and I did that, and. I, we were allowed to keep our watches and stuff on for that, just just like we were for this event. And I think it was at like three or four in the morning, I was falling asleep standing up because we had <laughs> the event started the previous day at 9 a.m. And oh, so wow. we, we had been out there for so long and it was it was, yeah, three or four in the morning. And. You know, normally what I'll do in a thing like that is there are certain points of like either periods of instruction or whatever where you're allowed to sit down and I would stay standing to just keep myself awake because I've been tired during Goruk events before, but never like this. I was literally falling asleep standing up mm-hmm. and I remembered that we had had uh, caffeinated water with us and I started sipping the caffeinated water and maybe about 20 minutes later that woke me up. Um there was one other thing I wanted to mention about the CNO Canal Trail that was actually kind of cool. And I wish we had gotten a picture of this. I, I don't know if you did, but you pointed it out at the time. It was pitch black around us, except you could see like the glow of the sky. But then in the dark in front of us, you could see all these dots of headlamps and chem lights of all the other groups that were around us. And like if you didn't if you didn't notice that or if you were in a spot on the trail where you couldn't see the trail ahead of you, it felt like we were alone, except when we would maybe pass one group or one group would pass us. But then as soon as you could see, like there was a point where we could see maybe a mile ahead of us on the trail and it was just dotted with these chem lights and uh, headlamps. And it was like, oh, there are like 15 other teams out in front of us across the next mile, mile and a half. And just the visual was really cool. All these yeah. little like blue, green, and red lights all ahead of us. I wish I'd gotten a picture of that, but I wasn't thinking yeah. about that at the time. Yeah, it probably would have been hard to really like get the full picture of it because yeah. of how you know, it was up to like a mile ahead. And, yeah. But it was just it was really cool. Yeah. It was cool to see like it was a good uh, artistic representation of what the event was, you know. Yeah. A lot of people doing the same thing throughout different, you know, uh, different paces, different periods of time. Um, but everybody's there, you know, in the distance. Yeah. <laughs> on the same path. Uh, there's one other last thing I wanted to mention about the the route or the journey in general. Uh, and that is that we were talking to a team that had done the whole thing the previous year because this was the second the second annual one. And last year it rained throughout the whole thing. And they did that same canal trail. They did a whole bunch. Uh, it was a very similar route. I am so glad that it was not raining. I think that probably would have made me be like, all right, this is, you know, that that would yeah. have been the straw that broke the camel's back if it had been agree. wet the whole time. At the same time, though, I, it kind of would have been epic if it was raining. But I'm glad it yeah. wasn't. <laughs> yeah, it, I just think it would have made all my blisters and everything so much worse. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, I don't I don't think I would have finished. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Well, any other takeaways for that? Any any other thoughts that you want to talk about? Because I think that that pretty much covers everything that I have. I mean, we covered training, we covered gear, we covered mindset um, and philosophy. Touching on, touching on the mindset again, I just can't emphasize enough how much of a role the music played in getting me to keep going. And it just was such a clear example of how it can alter your state of mind and distract and it was just such a good example of the conditioning I have of like my you know adrenaline when certain music plays in in the response of my body to certain you know like metal music or or I don't know just what what it represents or what it you know encourages my mind to act like it was it was just all about the perspective you know, and, and having that was just invaluable. I, you know, I don't, I wouldn't have finished. Yeah. You know, bottom line, I would have quit right there yeah. if I hadn't been able to put my earbuds in. So I'm glad I brought my earbuds. Final packing tip. There's a, a Seneca quote that I want to close with. Um, and this is a quote that I actually keep the text of in my phone it's actually a picture of the text, but whatever. I keep this in my phone and I think about this paragraph every single time I do something difficult, especially things that take a long time, um, especially things that I don't want to do. And the mindset, <clears throat> excuse me, the mindset behind this quote is really what keeps me going through a lot of things that are difficult. So we'll, we'll close with this. Briskly, therefore, and with head held high, let us stride with dauntless step wherever circumstances carry us. Let us traverse any lands whatever. Within the world, there can be no exile, for nothing within the world is alien to man. From any spot wherever eyes can be raised to heaven equally well, the interval between the divine and the human is everywhere constant. So long as my eyes are not barred that spectacle with which they are never sated, therefore, so long as I may contemplate the sun and moon, so long as I may dwell upon other planets, so long as I may study their risings and settings and speculate upon the realms of their rapid or slower pace, behold the numberless stars gleaming in the night, some fixed, some not sweeping in a wide orbit but circling their own track, some suddenly bursting forth, some dazzling our vision with an effusion of fire as if they were falling, or flying by with a long train of brilliant light. So long as I can commune with these and mingle with heavenly bodies as far as a mortal may, so long as I may keep my mind always directed to the contemplation of kindred stuff on high, what matter to me what ground I tread? Nice. I thought you were going to say like one sentence, but oh, that was good. No, it's a paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> the one sentence version is, so long as I can think about stuff, what does it matter where I am? What does it matter what's happening? So long as I can contemplate things that matter. Nice. Yeah. Cool. I think that's where a lot of value is. So, yeah. Cool. Well, definitely it was a, a a never again experience for me as far as 50 <laughs> miles, but 25 I think would be a, a good fun thing to do that's hard, but not too hard. I agree. It's hard, but it's um, not stupid. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. 50 was, was the, yeah, uh, it's, a little, it's worth contemplating. I'm not even going to say a little. Yeah. It's not, it was significantly more than a little too much. <laughs> It's worth contemplating whether it was a bad idea. Yeah, exactly. But in the end, you know, <laughs> do stuff that's hard, but don't yeah. hurt yourself. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but then again, if you have to do it, you're probably, you probably can. Yeah. Cool. All right. Cool. Well, that's been a bonus episode. See you next awesome. time. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.